I'm Alan Cornett, and this is the Eat Kentucky Podcast. Welcome back to the Eat Kentucky Podcast, where we explore and celebrate Kentucky, its food, and its culture. This is your host, Alan Cornett. In this episode, I talk to Chef Weta Michael, who is a Central Kentucky culinary icon, owning eight restaurants and operating two more. Along with her husband, Chris Michael, Weta purchased the Holly Hill Inn in Midway, Kentucky in 2000. Since then, she has been a fierce advocate for locally sourced ingredients and championing the taste of Kentucky. Chef Weta has been nominated as Best Chef Southeast, an outstanding restaurateur multiple times by the James Beard Foundation. She opened her most recent restaurant, Zim's Cafe, in the newly renovated 150-year-old courthouse in downtown Lexington in November 2018. Weta talks with me about her cookbook project, the redevelopment of a locally-based food market in Kentucky, how the food scenes of Lexington and Louisville stack up with one another, her relationship with Woodford Reserve, and she answers an important question about ghosts at the Holly Hill Inn. You can hear all that and more in this episode of the Eat Kentucky podcast. Enjoy! We are on the porch of Holly Hill Inn, and it's a beautiful day. Thanks for having me out. I'm thrilled to have you. This welcome to my office. This is this is far better than any office I'm ever in. <laughs> I'm very lucky to have a room with a view out here for sure. Uh, it, and I, we're coming to the close of my office porch office season, so you might be one of my last guests, depending know. on how the weather goes. Well, it's starting to cool off a little bit, but I think it might be nice still yeah. for a while. But the mm-hmm. uh, the wind is blowing the ferns between the lovely columns, and so it's, yeah, it's it, nice. Yes, it is. I'm a lucky lady. I, you've, you've got, I can see why you would never want to leave here. I don't just... It's true. The Holly Hill Inn is my, um, of course, actually, the Holly Hill Inn this November celebrates 40 years of being a restaurant. It was wow. opened as a restaurant in 1979, and Chris and I, next year, we celebrate 20 years of ownership, so we will have been in business 20 years next year. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I've got to do something. I, I'm, 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 I'm famous for never recognizing my, <laughs> my, the birthdays of our businesses, and, uh, but no, well, it's, a, so it's an accomplishment. There's so many to keep up with at this point. <laughs> yeah, there are. They creep up on you, too. Like, uh, it was yeah. Smithtown's sixth birthday last week, and I I didn't realize it till I went in, and of course the staff, they love to celebrate the birthday of the restaurant, so it was shocking to me. I'm like, six years has gone by? What? <laughs> Wait a minute, where did that go? Well, in 20 years, you've made a, a pretty big splash from, from this spot in central mm. Kentucky. In 20, yes. Well, it's funny, you, 20 years, is simultaneously feels like a year or two and at the same time a lifetime but yes especially the last few years we've really gone through a an expansion in our company and it feels good to have completed it um 
do you feel do you feel done as far as expansion goes? I do, at least in terms of locations. Mm -hmm. I I definitely have a lot of projects that I'm working on. I'm working on a cookbook and it's nearly complete. Oh wow! Yeah, that'll be a really fun. We're we're moving into the process now where we're looking f at publishers and presses, um, and so it'll still be another year or so before it's released. But it but getting all the recipes scaled and tested. And the content, you know, the table of contents sure. done and just d deliberating on what recipes to include, that a, is all completed. That's a, well, that's a massive undertaking just yeah. to sort through all of that. And, and I'm very lucky to work with, I have a co-writer who has worked for us in the past named Sarah Gibbs. She lives in Florida now, but she um, has helped me with a lot of recipe development over the years. And so she and I embarked on the book project together. Uh, and she's an extremely talented and gifted recipe editor. It's a specific set of skills mm -hmm. to edit recipes. And, we, and she has an elaborate testing process. It was really important to both of us for those recipes to work as well for the home cook as they do for us and our businesses. Sure. So. Yeah, it's a, I, I would imagine it's, you've got to, you've got to conceptualize it differently. On scale and yeah, you have to take a recipe that makes ten gallons and make it for a quart or two quarts or something like that. Uh, you know, six to eight servings, four servings. And I, I tire. I really tire of internet recipes. I find most of them poorly written. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few sites that I obviously that are fantastic, but also the blog, the recipe blog, I find very I find very tiresome because you have to go through the whole. <laughs> the you know, story. The whole the story, story and look at all the stupid pictures and I shouldn't be so dismissive. But I just want the recipe. That's the way give I am. Give me the recipe. Where's just the give recipe me the recipe, card? yeah. Um, but uh, that said, I'm, I'm really, it, it, the book is going to be centered around Wallace Station, Windy Corner, Smithtown, the bakery, um, what we're doing at Woodford Reserve, all in our sort of sandwich and casual restaurants. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not the Holly Hill Inn story. Okay. We'll so tackle that next. So it's, it's not a white table cookbook. No, no, white, it's, it's a book cloth. of what we call silver bullets. Um, so it's our remoulade sauce, our tartar sauce, our chocolate chip cookie, our Wallace Station white bread and wheat bread and lemon bars and brownies. Will I learn how to make a Woodford cookie? Yes, oh, I think the, the Woodford cookie is in there. All right, well, sign, <laughs> then sign me up. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's I wanted to start with that book because the storyline is simple and clear cut, or at least we thought it was. Right. Um, um, a little bit simpler and clear cut, and uh, those restaurants have so many visitors. And then we'll move to the larger tale of the Holly Hill Inn and Kentucky's cuisine as we sort of envision it here. Um, maybe second. Yeah. yeah. So the so the sequel is already planned. Yeah, it, it more or less is. It'll take me forever to get it done, though. So, well, I don't know. We've this this book has taken three years to get to this point, but we were also in the middle of opening say, several you've, restaurants. You've had a lot going on those three years, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. And Sarah did too, because she um, she's moved to Florida and retired to Florida, so she had a lot of moves and property sales, and so we had to put it down and pick it up several times. Sure. So, well, it's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I am too. I'm I'm thrilled by it. I'm yeah. looking for a title. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, right. And the publisher will probably have something to say about about that. Yes. So, well, you're talking about 
your recipe book, and but and this question kind of applies uh, to that. What what is your favorite Kentucky food? Ooh, dish, recipe, or ingredient? It could be I'll, anything. I'll, either one or both. I would say, oh dang, that's a very hard thing to limit me to. Sure. <laughs> I'll, uh, um. Maybe in terms of rarity, my favorite one of my one of my favorites is hickory nuts um, mm -hmm. because they're they're so precious. Yes. So I really love that, and I have a friend who shells them for me, and there's a lot of love that goes into what he does, and he gives them to me, and he makes hickory nut syrup, and so there is a, a, a preciousness to that ingredient that I really love, and it takes. I think it is. It does talk about a time gone by. I don't think it'll be too much longer before it's very rare that we ever taste hickory nuts because nobody will ever take the time to shell them. Right. Um, except for maybe me. I'll be, Alan, I'll be on the porch here yeah. when I'm 75, you come visit and I'll be cracking hickory nuts. Uh, that sounds, that, that really. <laughs> that sounds quite sound, enjoyable, well, doesn't it? Well, sounds pretty nice. And really way does. to spend your retirement. Well, it, it's interesting that you, that you picked hickory nuts, which wasn't what I was expecting because my grandfather, when I was growing up, his summer, or I'm sorry, his winter snowed-in yeah. activity was to shell nuts in his basement. So mm -hmm. my grandmother had a quilting frame in the ba in their basement. She would quilt, and he would crack nuts, and yeah. mostly walnuts because they were plentiful. Right, because he we would, would gather them up. Right. right, they would set them out on the driveway, and people would run over them to shell to shell them and so forth and get the holes off. Uh, but every so often we would have a good hickory nut year, mm -hmm. and so he would sound the alarm, and we would go out and and gather pick, up the hickory, gather nuts. Up hickory nuts. And so even then, those were a lot rarer. Yeah, we would always have black walnuts from him. Right. Every so often, you would get a jar of hickory nuts. And so I do love black walnuts. I do love love the acidity. I love those too, but they're just they're just a tiny bit easier to find. They are. You can, you <laughs> Commercially, can you can find them. And just, I suppose the hickory nut or the hickory nut is. It's not a harsh nut at all, like black like mm. black walnuts are. I think everybody likes them. They just most people not never had. Them. I never had it. Never tasted it. I'm very lucky because we're in, here in Midway. My friend Jim Nance, who shells the hickory nuts for me, he he will bring to church a chocolate hickory nut pie now and then and then all of his cookies have hickory nuts in mm. them and his muffins anything that he brings to church he brings with hickory nuts in it well he's a good man to know he I is think. a good man to know <laughs> <laughs> well that's interesting the hickory nut it, it really is it's a traditional kentucky ingredient but it's it's rarely it's, it's rarely seen it's not one that you can cook with very often commercially right um and that's one thing that i think makes it really special um, but I have a slew of Kentucky things that I love. I love sorghum. I love um, any kind of, I love cornmeal and grits, of course. And I love spoon bread and cornbread and all that kind of thing. Um, right now I'm into pawpaws. It's, and yes. <laughs> it's pawpaw Paw season. Yeah, right. I love persimmon, but I haven't ever been able to get enough commercially to do much with uh, of the Kentucky persimmon. Um, but yeah, I'm very lucky because I get to have, I get to use 
many, many, many locally raised ingredients. Well, and I've been seeing photos of the pawpaw chiffon pie, pie yes. which I've not had at this point, so I need to track it down before it's gone. We'll right? have it a little bit longer because I was able to, it's been a good year for pawpaws, mm -hmm. so I was able to buy 100 pounds, and the, I'll be able to buy 100 more pounds this week. Does the bakery, the bakery have it? The bakery will, if they don't, they, they've been selling it like crazy, so they may be in between batches, but yes, right. we have enough puree that we're going to keep making the pawpaw um, chiffon pie, and then I, I promised some pawpaw pulp to Tyler here at Holly Hill Inn so we could make pawpaw pancakes which was a recipe somebody put on my Facebook page that I thought looked really good, uh, an interesting way to serve pawpaws. Pawpaws seem to be getting some traction, yeah. finally, I think. Yeah, They've, they're a great fruit. It is, and it's a, another native Kentucky, uh, and dif na another native Kentucky ingredient, but that's, that's been somewhat difficult to deal with because they're so fragile. Yeah they go bad so quickly yeah and they're difficult to handle the pulp and all of the uh the seeds and everything else that goes into them but but if there's strategies for that uh we use a pantyhose bag <laughs> uh, the, the secret of, of <laughs> you, not not really a pantyhose <laughs> but you know the bags that you put your laundry you may not know this but the bags you buy for your lingerie oh yeah sure they're uh, net bags. Yes, I know what you're talking and about. And then we peel the pop, freeze the pawpaw to peel it, peel it, and then squeeze the pulp through the I see. net bag. Yeah. Then it's small enough to catch the seeds. Mm -hmm. That's, I'll, I'll make a mental note of that. That's everybody's <laughs> hot tip for dealing with pawpaws. <laughs> by, the time, by the time everybody hears this, they may have to put that away for next year. But, um, because pawpaw season is pretty short. It's coming to a close, yeah. And they, like I said, they... They don't last long there, mm -hmm. which is one of the challenges that they've had dealing with them commercially because they're almost impossible to transport and keep on supermarket shelves or whatever. We need a processor that um, can be dedicated to pop-up pulp, I think. That's, that's the key element is to being able, being able to convert the fruit into a pulp and then freezing that pulp. Right. And that can be used in ice creams and all kinds of things. I went to the Kentucky State University Pawpaw Information Day they did. This is, yeah. I know they do it every year. I went two or three years ago and they had pawpaw ice cream and so forth, which is really it's good. It's delicious. It's really good. It's just, uh, there's, there's so much you can do with it. Uh, it's a shame that it's not been more utilized, but hopefully, like you said, that they'll, those, those processes will be developed where it'll be a little more accessible. So we are here 20 years after you came to Holly Hill. Mm -hmm. And you and I were talking before I hit the record button about our times at UK, which was way back in the 80s. Yes. <laughs> which we don't uh, want to, <laughs> we may edit this out, but it was way back in the 80s. Well, I, I think I was earlier in the 80s than you were. You were during the end of the 80s. I was at the beginning of the 80s. But there, so you've got a gap between you being at UK and you were you were uh, a debater at UK mm -hmm. a national championship debater yes and then UK debate uh, the debate team last year won the national championship for the first time since I won in 1986 and they won last year in 2018 uh, and has been in the they have been in the finals since of course we won and but it's still one of the most successful debate programs in the country and definitely at a state school. Yeah. I'm very proud of that program. Oh, absolutely. 
but you were involved in, I guess, a lot of quote-unquote academic programs, we'll say, <laughs> yes. at UK. So what took you to a pursuit of culinary arts, to CIA? Why, why that direction and not a more, I guess, academic-based Yes. Direction? Well, I, um, when I was, in competitive intercollegiate debate is extremely um, demanding. Oh, I'm sure. And, obs and, it, and it's obsessive. You know, you become immersed in it. And it's a, it's a fantastic subculture, and it's great for your brain, and everybody should participate. But what happened was I was in political science, modern American political philosophy, in the honors program, in the Gaines program, so very academic. And I, I think I kind of had a midlife crisis at the age of about 21. <laughs> I've always loved cooking. I always loved cooking. My mother was a wonderful cook. My grandmother, um, even my dad had certain dishes that were really great. And food, very important in our family. Not, no commercial experience or anything like that. But I, um, I felt when I was a senior, and I've talked to a lot of students about this over the years, like my life was passing, was going on without my direct involvement in making decisions about what I wanted to do. I felt like I was just on a track and I was just following that track and it would go to law school. And in the eighties at that time, everybody was going to law school um, or a lot of people were. So I essentially jumped off the track uh, just to see if I would like working in a restaurant. So I moved to New York City. I had a couple of friends that are, um, uh, had an apartment and moved to New York City and uh, had roommates there and opened up the New York Times and got a job in a restaurant and I loved it. Mm -hmm. I, I lived in New York City for two years at that time just working in different different kinds of restaurants, um, I, catering operations, uh, and then applied to the Culinary Institute and moved up the river to Poughkeepsie and Hyde Park. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved the Culinary Institute of America. I love working with my hands. I love being physically active and involved in what I'm doing. I love, uh, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's not like I, my dad was a professor. It's not, I didn't, I, but I absolutely love that part of being in a restaurant. I like being on my feet. I love being active. I'm not, I, when I'm sitting at a desk in front of a computer for too long, I get a little depressed or a little bit alley or, you know, unfocused and cooking always brings me back into focus. It brings my agenda back into focus, my mission, my what's important to me, all of that. Mm -hmm. If you hadn't pursued that, what what was the alternate timeline for you I mean, as far as where where would you have ended up if you hadn't done that? Honestly, I do think I would have gone to law school. I mean, I there was no doubt in my mind that I I would love law school. Mm -hmm. I think I think I would have been a great law student. I think what I, as I remember back, I, I think in my mind I was concerned about whether I would like being a lawyer mm -hmm. um, and what, how I, I couldn't see myself necessarily, uh, I couldn't envision my life at right. that point. Maybe I would have gone into politics. I love, I love politics. Um, so, but. It's probably better for your own well-being that you, that you yes that you didn't do that. Well, it may be. I mean, 
I, mean, I definitely the, the, would have. The country may have been better off. But I don't oh, know I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, 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 I'm glad I'm not in politics. I mean, I do think we all have an obligation to um, participate in a civic society, though. Um, and I love what debate brought to me and being able to discuss issues and things like that. But no, I, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe I would have gone to business school, but I doubt it. I didn't have that in my mind. Um, I think probably if I'd hated restaurants, I would have gone to law school. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like you found the right path. I did. I, I'm so glad I, I mean, it's, it's not always easy, the path that I've chosen. I mean, and people always love to say to me, oh, it's so hard to even run one restaurant. You know, the thing is, is like, it's really difficult to be a successful lawyer too. It requires sure. 90 hour work weeks and the same, same kind of dedication. It doesn't matter what path you choose. If you're passionate about it and you want to be really successful at it, you're going to have to work hard. Mm -hmm. And you have to either embrace that or you have to decide, I don't want that kind of working life, so I'm going to settle for this kind of, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's no judgment. It's just, it doesn't matter what you pursue in life. If you want to be a great architect, you're going to have to work really hard at it. If you want to be a great veterinarian, doctor, it doesn't matter what profession you're in. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of hours. It's going to be stressful. Um, and then hopefully we all get to a point in our careers where we can begin passing the torch and feeling a little less stressed. And I, I feel that way now. I feel good about where I am right now. While we take a brief break, I wanted to tell you about my day job and sometimes nights and weekends. I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. When I'm not eating or posting about food, I help people find the home of their dreams in the Lexington area. If you need to buy or sell your home, please email, text, or call Alan Cornett at kw.com or 859-327-1818. Now let's talk more about food. Going back 20 years, when you, I guess almost 20 years, when you took over Holly Hill. Yeah. And surveying where the central Kentucky food scene is now. Mm -hmm. What changes have you seen? It looks to me like, from my perspective, that it's been, it's dramatically improved on the whole. What do you think about that? And what role do you think you've had with that? I, I moved back to Lexington in 1993. Um, so I've been home for whatever, however many years that is, a long time, 25 years. And I, and in, in, in owning the Holly Hill Inn for the last 20 years, I think it's a sea change in our food culture in Central Kentucky. Um, I don't know what role I've really played in it. I mean, I've, I've definitely opened up a lot of restaurants. I hope that I've challenged people to think about where their food comes from and to not try to express the cuisine of an urban area or a New York City or a Chicago, but really let's develop what food tastes like in Lexington, Kentucky and Central Kentucky. Um, let's focus on being Kentucky. Let's focus on expressing our own food culture and developing our specific food culture. Um, and for some people in our, in our community, that means it's Tortilla Ramirez, and they're they're expressing their their family's culture in Kentucky in a very specific um, way from Mexico. And I 
love that. And for some people, it's Tao and Mike Green, you know, when they had, and, and Tao's mom and dad, when they were doing Thai Smile and um, their other Thai restaurants before they got into ice cream. It's about expressing that culture through Kentucky um, and through the lens of Kentucky. And I love all of that. I, 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 when I talk about expressing a cuisine of Kentucky, I'm not really saying that we need to be um, boxed in by our culinary past, but I am saying we don't have a taste of Kentucky if we're not using Kentucky raised and produced ingredients. Then all we have is a taste of whatever the big box supplier is bringing to us. Right. And as chefs, we have a responsibility to cultivate and process and sell and promote what we're doing in Kentucky if we live in Kentucky. And you've you've had you've had a big impact on that with encouraging suppliers. I saw that you were just awarded by the was it Kentucky? It was the Kentucky Proud? Yes. It just uh, yeah, two lifetime your... awards. So we we have I that I'm very proud of that. I should say I'm not. I don't want to toot my own horn, but the, our that's what we're here for. You can go ahead and do that. <laughs> our company has our little restaurant group has pr pr um, purchased millions of dollars in farm gate receipts since we've opened our business, and I would say I'd say it's close to three million and maybe more because we just got a lifetime award from the Buy Local program for Holly Hill Inn and for Wallace Station. And that means $250,000 of purchases. But that's just in the last four years. That Buy Local program has only been alive around four years. And so, well, Wallace Station and Holly Hill Inn have been buying local Holly Hill Inn for 20 and uh, Wallace Station for more than 15. So. Uh, Windy Corner has already graduated from that program with $250,000 and Smithtown and Honeywood will graduate this year. Um, that means I don't get any more rebate money from the state, which is okay with me. I've, I've been a participant in the Restaurant Rewards Program since the, I was probably one of the very first people to enroll. Um, so I'm, I'm very proud of the contribution we've been able to make to the marketplace. Um, and I think there's been a sea change in distribution and processing since I started as absolute sea change. You have to give hats off to Marksberry Farms for kind of jumping right in and um, starting a brand around locally processed meats, uh, marketing those meats to Whole Foods, to Creation Gardens all around. Um, but other processors too are uh, Stonecross Farms. Patrick Kennedy does all of our pork and all of our ground beef. Um, and he has for more than he has the entire, you know, almost more than 15 years. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Creation Gardens, which is a Kentucky-based uh, outside Louisville um, food distributor, you know, they, they bought Irish Hill Meats and A. Thomas Meats. They brought all these long-standing meat-cutting meat families together under one roof. And it's an amazing, amazing investment that they've made and what they're going to be able to bring to the table in terms of local meat processing. The Chop Shop, you know, so there's, they're a, they're a company that's come online that um, processes beef and Clem's Meats, a wonderful family-owned um, distribution company that's going to be distributing all the Kentucky Proud Beef for UK's hamburgers. And all of that has come online in the last few years. Uh, so it's, it's really been wonderful to see. And, and actually, I think UK 
as much as I hated seeing them end their independent food service, requiring Aramark to have a certain number of dollar purchases from Kentucky farmers really helped jumpstart some of that processing and distribution. Do you, do you think then that, that those earmarks have worked out? I know there was some criticism, some reporting earlier when they first started that, right. that some of that wasn't, it was following the letter, not the spirit, I guess. Right. But. Well, that, you know, that first year was such a disappointment. And in a lot of ways, I, I was so proud of our community because everybody stand up, they, everybody stood up and squawked. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, Linda Blackford down at the Herald Leader wrote a great article and really brought it to the public's attention. And it went, I think everybody, everybody stood up and took notice and really held their feet to the fire. And they deserve some credit for having figured out how to do it and are doing better and better every year. Good. It's good to see that kind of response. You find on the whole UK and UK Ag to be more focused in that direction as far as supporting local producers and I love work. UK Ag, the College of Ag. Mm -hmm. I should have I should have gone <laughs> I didn't know I could do, there was a College of Agriculture <laughs> when I went to UK. Um, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm or anything. I love the College of Agriculture at UK. I think it adds to the daily life, quality of life in the, the Commonwealth of Kentucky in ways that other colleges can't do. Mm -hmm. I, through its extension agency program, through human nutrition, through, um, you know, through Bob Perry, yeah. We just had the Southeastern Grain Gathering at UK South Farm. It was a whole day of people from all around the country talking about how to, how to make whole grain flour part of our daily diet in this country and what the health benefits of that would be. And there were distillers there and it was, fan it was fantastic. And all of that's only possible through um, the College of Ag. So I'm, I am, Maybe in, when I retire, I'm going to become a Donovan scholar and go back and take back all and the agricultural <laughs> classes that I want and art history. I'll just be ag and art history. <laughs> well, they might they might rather have you teach a class. I don't know whether they take any, but they may not let you do that. <laughs> well, I mean, the College of Ag, I, I'm, I'm actually I was thinking about this today. A, a big part of being able to buy local ingredients as a chef in a small business like ours, I mean, our business is bigger now, but it's still a tiny business. But when we started, we were just a speck. And in order to be able to participate in that kind of purchasing, you have to have people that are trying to match up small producers with small markets. Mm -hmm. And UK College of Ag, Lee Meyer had a big project. Uh, he was in uh, agricultural economics. Um, and he, he helped match us up. Uh, and help develop those relationships between producers and small markets. And I think we've had a lot of success with that in Kentucky. In a lot of ways, it was, it was completely rebuilding a market that had been lost. Right. That used to exist mm -hmm. locally, but then it was, it was kind of wiped out. Yes, I mean, a good example of that is in the pork producers, um, the pork producers, Used to, they have an association of pork producers and they used to have hundreds of families involved in thousands of families involved all across the state in pork production, meaning they would have like 10, 10 hogs, maybe they would have even two dozen hogs, probably process one for themselves and then be able to sell the rest after tobacco and make that Christmas money or it was part of the farm mm -hmm. income. And now 
we've centralized our agricultural production so much that those small producers have been completely let completely locked out of the pork selling market. So you if you don't raise a semi full of pork of pigs, don't bother. You right. know, and get bigger, get out. Get bigger, <laughs> get out. And so well that's a shame. And also it 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 changes how you handle your livestock. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um so it's 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 a fascinating. So I, I could talk forever. I'm going on too long. Well, that, that's why we're here. <laughs> now, I was at a conference this past weekend at U of L on uh, Wendell Berry and Mary Berry were, yes. were both there, and they had uh -huh. sort of an interview conversation. But he was talking about encouraging small producers who could give, uh, and the, and what the Berry Center is doing to try to with home place meets right, to try yeah. to connect and encourage those small producers where the the industrialized market's trying to shut them out. That's right. And, and finding finding places for them to sell their products. Well, they've started this, I've, I've <clears throat> had a lot of that veal. It's rose veal, so it's not exactly what we, it's not exactly the same kind of veal that we affiliate with milk-fed, it's not milk-fed veal. It's, it's actually just younger animals at a lower weight and, uh, being brought to process sooner so that it helps the farmer. Um, and they're doing it in a cooperative manner because Wendell's dad, I, I didn't realize this, but he was responsible for having set up the Barley Tobacco, the right. Burley tobacco right. they, Cooperative. They talked about the, the, Burley, uh, the Burley program as a model. As a model it. for this, this um, Rose Veal or Younger Beef, Young Beef program. Um, and I love it. I mean, I think it, it could, really work i think the market may have to go beyond kentucky mm -hmm. um but yes he's exactly right trying to d strengthen the food the food net if we think about our food suppliers the supply chain you know it's so vulnerable when it becomes more and more centralized of course that's my dr yanarella talking from uk days but the more we centralize our food service our food systems and our food supply chains the more vulnerable they become to um food safety issues and that's why we have these giant salmonella outbreaks that you know affect people across 500 states you know five <laughs> states and right. instead of uh what i really hope we can do and i think i know that wendell hopes this too and the berry center work is so important is to create a fine mesh of small suppliers that all come together create a really strong system of food supply it's just like your brain and developing all your um, your neurons in your brain, you want to have as many different pathways as you can. So that if you have a stroke, you can, you know, find another neuropathway. And I feel that way about food. Uh, so it's exciting to see it. It's exciting to see so many threads coming together in Kentucky. And we're way ahead of a lot of states. I mean, this is an area where um, our agricultural, our tobacco settlement money really uh, did make a big difference. I know there's a lot of criticism to go around, and I'm sure there were plenty of mistakes, but at the same time, our farmers are very diversified. They've rebounded since the tobacco settlement, and um, we have increased our, our, our increased our production, increased our processing, and increased our distribution of all of local products. So I think it was a win. Yeah, that's fantastic. You've had no small part in that. We're, we're thankful for it. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much. I basically see my role as being able to provide a market, and I want to be a mouthpiece champion right. for well, it. Well, and those are important things. I think you you were also, 
you were a trailblazer in a, you did a lot of hard work so that other people could come along and feel confident that, that it would work that it would work right yeah. and that's that's valuable despite regardless of what your buying power is relative <laughs> to the overall market I think so let's shift gears a little bit you have what eight restaurants now is that right yes we have eight restaurants and two lo uh, ten locations so we do all the food service and catering at Fazig Tipton and at Woodford okay. Reserve Distillery. I didn't know about Fazig Tipton, so that's that's another one to throw in. Yeah. And not a small operation. Either. No, it's we 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 call that wing of our business Holly Hill Inn Events, and we launched it last year, uh, formally last July, July of 2018. We had worked with Fazig Tipton on their horse sales for the two years prior to that but weren't sure if we were ready to get right into the events business. So we worked for a couple of years gearing up um, and then officially launched last last year. And it's it's been great. We've had so much request over the years for big events, but all of our places are really small. So it's, it's hard to navigate. And um, now we have that nice big kitchen out at Fazek Tipton and the dining rooms are beautiful. Well, I keep seeing pictures of events and you're always there making something. So I don't know when you ever rest. I guess on Mondays you can sit on your porch. Oh, some of that's marketing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, you know what, I like cooking for events because I don't run any of our kitchens anymore. Right. So I have a chef, Tyler McNabb, here at Holly Hill, and that was my last pass over. And then I've never, you know, I hired, when we opened Honeywood and Zim's, we, when we opened, we had chefs in place ready to go. And um, so I like cooking for events. I do actually go out to the horse sale and cook, do a lot of cooking for the horse sales. Um, the elite sale is really fun. Um, and I, I do a lot of, I do cooking, special event cooking down at Woodford Reserve. I just had my friend Joy Crump down and we did a really fun dinner down there. So how, how did, tell me about your relationship with Woodford Reserve. How did that come about? How long have you been connected I've with them? I've been down there for 10 years and um, I started, they, they've always had a chef in residence. David Larson was their previous chef and he had been there since they reopened that distillery. But he retired um, and they needed someone because they do a lot of events down there and I kind of jumped into the fray. Then they did a request for proposals and I said, well, well this is my RFP here, all my work. So you, I don't have time to write it all out for you. you do what it, what it, and that's kind of the way we started. And I don't do, a, I mean, I essentially run two operations there. Um, we have a chef and we have a chef de cuisine, Charles Taylor, who handles all kinds of private events down in what we call the Dryer House, which is on the banks of Glen Creek. And then we have Sandy Allison, who runs the Glen's Creek Cafe, which is up in the visitor center. And she does all kinds of different sandwiches and soups and salads. And we have coffees and things like that that we do. And we sell baked goods from the bakery. Um, but I love Woodford Reserve. Chris Morris has become a close friend over the years, and um, they're all great people. And I, I'm very, you know, I'm very pleased to be down there. Well, they've, they've certainly raised the profile of Woodford County with the name and yes. so forth in the past, I guess, what quarter century since they opened. Yes. The but uh, it's now it's now a flagship name. It is, and when I first, I remember. Um, when we first bought the Holly Hill Inn, Woodford was still very, very new. I want to say 
I think it started in the mid 90s. Yeah, 1996 they reopened. We were here in 2000. So we felt like it was our hometown bourbon and that's the way we've always approached it. That it's and it is to this day in all of our restaurants are well poor. We don't have it's not a well bourbon, it's a premium bourbon, but that's our go-to bourbon mm -hmm. for everything at Honeywood, at Thirsty Fox. And that's, I think, because I know the distillers select profile so well um, of that bourbon that it, it's my, kind of my benchmark for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a, it makes sense. It's with, with the, yeah. the basis in, in Woodford County. So when you, when you want to go eat somewhere, do you find a restaurant that you don't run to go eat? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you able to do that? Oh, yes. I mean, I actually, um, well, sushi, I love sushi. That's one of my favorite. I love ethnic foods of all kinds, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually cook at home quite a bit because I have a teenage daughter. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So like last night I made butter chicken. I love, you know, Indian butter chicken. Um, and so does Willa. I, I love cooking for Willa and Chris. I do. I really love I, it. Mean, it makes them feel so good when I, so I try not to work too many nights a week. I, maybe this, this week I'll have a little bit more nighttime work, but um, I try to at least make dinner at home four nights a week. Uh, but eating out is one of my, <laughs> I love to eat out. <laughs> I love all of our Latin. I love all of our Mexican restaurants, the, the really authentic Mexican restaurants that we have Le in Lexington. Lexington, I think, has has a much stronger representation there than a lot of people think, a lot of people know about. Yes, and I think it helps build a bridge. I mean, I hope it does. In a state that seems so conservative, that we can f see our neighbors working side by side with us and and that their food and their culture helps bridge the gaps that that sometimes appears in our media, et cetera, between the two of us. Um, at least I, I feel like food can do that, but I love Japanese cuisine. I feel like Lexington has great Japanese restaurants and I love Indian food. I love going, I love Korean barbecue. I love Ethiopian, <laughs> so. Do you, are you able to go anywhere where people don't know you or do you have to go out of town for that? <laughs> I sometimes have to go out of town for that. That is the one, well, we usually it's never an issue, you know, Chris and I have this standing joke that we don't go to a lot of continental restaurants in Lexington because we've all employed the same pool of people sure, over the right. years. Right. <laughs> and then invariably we're being waited on by someone that used to work for us and maybe it didn't end well. Right. <laughs> so that's happened to us on so many occasions. We just laugh about it now, but I think Lexington's food scene is, just fabulous. I mean, I'm a Dudley's alum, so of course I love Debbie and Dudley's. I love what Mark Richardson's doing there. I love um, Lockbox. You know, I I've, I love their food. I love um, I love Jonathan Lundy. I'm excited to see his new Italian place. I love Cordelima. There's not a restaurant I really don't like. I love Middle Fork. Mark is fantastic. I love what he's brought to the food scene. I'm in awe of him having built his own restaurant with his own two hands. I think Lesme is fabulous at the Pasta Garage with his little Volkswagen bus. Mm -hmm. I know I'm probably forgetting people, but I really enjoy our restaurant culture in Lexington. I think it's cool. I really, I've, uh, the guys at Winchell's used to be my sous chefs at 
at um, Dudley's when I was a sous chef for John Foster there. And of course he has Sage Rabbit. So, I mean, there's a lot of really great there places are, yeah. to go. I mean, we're very lucky. We've very, very lucky. And we have the solid backbone of a place like Merrick Inn too, you know, and, and what that family has brought to our food culture for decades and decades, for 50 years. Sure. It's pretty amazing. I think that Lexington definitely has a stronger food scene and a more diverse food scene than a city of its size Anywhere. Would, would typically have. I don't know. I, I, I would be surprised if you could find somewhere better with the, with the population that, that we've got here. Yeah, I, I would be too. And I think that we're developing a really strong identity as well um, because we do have such strong um, craft breweries and we have strong distilleries um, in Lexington and in Louisville and right now I mean I think you could stack the food scene up in Lexington against the food scene food scene in Louisville and we'd come out I think we'd come out a bit ahead so I've as far as diversity um, young chefs getting involved and getting out there and being part of the food scene I mean Jonathan uh, Sanning who's used to be with us at Smithtown is doing a great job at the stave down here um, in Millville in Woodford County and I just love seeing all that yeah. you know Gray's is another you know new not relatively relatively newcomer in their new location at Woodlands and I want to get over there I haven't been there yet but there's a lot of good young chefs so. cooking what, in town you mentioned and of course you've got your ties to to Woodford and you mentioned the bourbon industry what what effects do you think the sort of the renaissance of the bourbon industry has had on the food scene here? Well, uh, huge. I think we owe a lot. Our food scene and our food culture and the promotion of the, of the restaurant industry, at least, we owe a lot to Visit Lex and how much good work they have been able to do in all these surrounding cities, in Chicago, in Columbus, in Atlanta, in Pittsburgh, in New York City. Um, promoting us as a travel destination, and that is hand in glove with horse country and the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Um, when I started at Woodford, there was no Kentucky Bourbon Trail, and now, oh my gosh, I mean, I think this month there's probably, I want to say, there'll be 50,000 people through wow. Woodford Reserve Distillery on tour. Maybe I'm slightly exaggerating, but I won't be, I don't think that's much of an exaggeration. Well, they're ready to build a new visitor center further out just because of the traffic level. Right. They have, um, they have done their new welcome center and it's open, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes there and it's just a fantastic thing. And I mean, my business partner, Roger, loves to uh, count license plates mm -hmm. at, at Wallace Station and Windy Corner, especially. And just the number of travelers that we have, it's amazing. So I, I just think we're, you know, an extremely good travel destination for people. We have a lot to do when the new hotels get all cleaned up and finished in downtown, downtown Lexington. Yeah. I think that we're going to really see. Well, that area some... is already much better than it was for a long time. Oh, but yes, think, absolutely. But I think they're getting close. So it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be nice to see Lexington, downtown Lexington with, Coming to fruition, yes. finally. Functioning like it should. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's going to help a lot of businesses just because traffic's been so messed up and yeah. difficult to park in a lot of places. And, That's right. Uh, so hopefully 
it, the chaos. I mean, will. to have the court, the old courthouse, all redone, and it's gorgeous. It's it wonderful it's to be beautiful. in there, and I just feel the synergy when I'm down there. It's beginning to come together now that those that now that the new buildings are beginning to open up, and once the hotel is complete, I just think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. I'm excited, super excited about it. I wanted to ask you about a, a project you've got you've had going here recently your your poetry series oh yeah I that's was, near and dear to your heart yeah i was interested <laughs> in that i uh you and i have some common uh relationships from our uk days and uh, i assume had some influence on that yeah uh, absolutely jane vance and uh other other poets uh in Kentucky what what in, tell me about it, what what the inspiration for that was and how that's going well you know Jane Vance was my first day of my first day of the first day of class at the University of Kentucky I walked into her colloquium for the honors program and she blew my mind I mean that class set the tone for me for I think a lifetime and then my mom also had Professor Vance as a, Dr. Vance as a professor in writing. And um, both of them, we lost both of them five years ago. And I, so for myself, I think a lot of the crazy expansion in our company came as a reaction to the grief of losing my mom. And this year I felt a different, I felt a light, a bit lighter about it all um, and so I thought wow I'm going to I want to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Holly Hill Inn with something unique and that really showcases that we're different we're not just a restaurant this is to this this is not just a place to have a steak for me this this place the Holly Hill Inn I give myself the liberty of trying to express something that's very very personal so all of the artwork on the walls are paintings that were done by my mother and father and there's photographs of the family who used to live here and paintings that date back to Woodford County 200 years old and so I I thought poetry would be great I'm sandbagging Jane's poem for next year because this is a going to be a two-year a two-year cycle for me and so I felt like this year was the fifth anniversary of my mom's death and next year will be the one for Jane and so she'll be our headliner for the series, but we'll do the same series next year, seven different poets, seven different poems. Um, and really what, it, what I'm trying to show people is that um, food is, for me and for Tyler, our chef here, an inspiring, it's an inspiring, it's a point of expression. Um, and so much of the food that we that in our company and in, in, our, in all the different restaurants we were talking about, it's just about business. Um, and so for this one exercise, it's an expression of hopefully poetry on the plate and how we, the poems inspire us to express certain things. Our poets in Kentucky express place so masterfully, and I feel like the Holly Hill Inn is a true expression of, of place. Yes. So we wanted to say, okay, how do we make that happen on the plate? And it has been so amazingly, it's been fun, it's been emotional, it, it, it's been incredible really, honestly. And some of the, we've gotten criticism, like some of the guests don't like it, and I'm like, you know what, that's perfect. 
because poetry does that to people. <laughs> sure. That means we're striking some kind of note. Some people love it. It's the best thing that they've ever done. Some people want a performance and they don't, you know, we're not having the poet out here reading the poem. We have the poem for the, the guest to read and the menu. And we did Morris Manning, bucolic, mm -hmm. and we wrote the poem, the menu in the same style as the uh, poem, which is no oh, punctuation. Nice. And, yeah. you know, people were freaking out because they could not <laughs> tell what was on the menu. So we had to write a, a separate, more menu oriented. <laughs> Uh, interpret, <laughs> interpret your menu. But it, it, poet, poetry is intimate, and eating is an intimate act. And what we were trying to show people was that they're very related and that both are intimate. And um, it was interesting because trust is a big issue when you're talking to a guest that's eating in your dining room because it's, eating is such an emotional point of control for people. And so it was interesting to see those who could buy in and just say, yeah, well, whatever it is, I'll try it. And those that couldn't. Yeah. And it, both are fine. I, I, yeah, I mean, both are great. Um, but it was, it's been wonderful. It has been. It's, it's an interesting concept. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're doing it. Uh, and I may have to try to sneak over for the Jane event for sure. Yes. Well, she'll will headline in the um, early, uh, right after it'll be in either the last part of May or beginning of June. I have a little bit more work to do for that. But yes, Ada Limon is our last poet and her poem begins uh, this week okay. for this year. And so that, and that concludes when? Uh, it concludes on it October 5th. 5th. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then we go into more of our, but what it's done is that it's allowed Tyler and I to write menus more out of our imagination that we feel like are really expressing Kentucky rather than researching recipes from the past or, you know, so you, you, ha you come with everything that you have and you read the poem and then it pulls all these different things out of you about what's possible. So it's really fun. We have the holidays coming up. What holiday traditions, what food traditions for you, I mean, going back to growing up, yeah. What makes Thanksgiving Thanksgiving? What makes Christmas Christmas for you? Thanksgiving, that menu is set and it does not vary. <laughs> I usually cook Thanksgiving here because we're closed at Holly Hill. And so my whole family can come and all of Chris's family and Paige, my sister lives across the street from Holly Hill Inn. So her in-laws can come, everybody, and we have room for them all. And we are able to cook in this kitchen. Um, but it's turkey, my mother's uh, sage stuffing, which is a bread stuffing, not cornbread, um, and gravy. And we have, we make our own, obviously, chicken stock and gravy. And my mother always put hard boiled eggs in her gravy. So got to have that cream spinach, which is from Chris's mom, cranberry relish, both the jelly and the raw. We have to have both of those. <laughs> Stuffed mushrooms. We, we do both of those. <laughs> You know, I cannot vary that mashed potatoes. There's a sweet potato. I don't vary that menu very much. Um, at Christmas, we have a cookie tradition, and that goes back many, many generations. My great-great-grandmother, at least, we have her same recipe that we've made every year. Um, and we, Christmas time for us is... One of our traditions that we've developed at Holly Hill Inn is we kick off holiday season the middle of November with cassoulet, and that sort of starts the march toward Advent. 
<laughs> so hanging to the greens is really hanging to the greens here at Holly Hill Inn. We decorate like mad so that we can be all up by this December 1st. And then um, we celebrate Epiphany with the Epiphany Hog on January 6th. And we, I work like crazy on the holidays. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So I don't have a... Uh, and I've been here, I was here last year in December, and it's just beautiful what, yes. you, do, what you do with the place. Yeah, we decorate. It takes three or four days to decorate it all up, but we love it. Well, the setting is perfectly, <laughs> perfectly made. Well, I'll ask, you, I'll ask you a Halloween question, too, because we're here in an old building. So is, is Holly Hill haunted? Holly Hill is haunted in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, at least we have had several ghost hunters here. And the person who lives here, her name is Desdemona. She was the lady of the house in the early 1900s. And the medium that came says that Desdemona continues to live up in her bedroom, which is the second story on the right hand side of the house. And that this is her Nirvana. And when she came, to the, when the medium came to dinner here, she said Desdemona was standing at the bottom of the stairs, uh, watching all the guests come, and all is well. All is well. That's good. So, there we've had many, many, many experiences here at Holly Hill, over the years. That are, uh, and we've had Desdemona's been spotted by a couple of our employees. I've I've never seen her, but I will say, there's a presence about the house that I've experienced a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're going to have a ghost, it's good to have one that's happy. And at least we know her name. <laughs> right, and we know her name. That's good. Well, thank you for taking some time to sit down and talk with us. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to do this again sometime. Yes, please. Thanks. You can find links to Chef Wheat's social media accounts in the show notes. Please hit the subscribe button so you can be notified of new episodes. And please consider leaving a five-star rating. It helps others find the podcast. You can also find Eat Kentucky on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please give us a follow and you can keep up with all my explorations of Kentucky food. The Eat Kentucky musical theme is by Art Mize. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at eatkentucky at gmail.com. Also, if you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Lexington area, I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. I would love to talk to you. Until next time, this is your host, Alan Quinn.